Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens. Drew, it's been a stretch, hasn't it? It has, man. It, it really has. We talked about this um, when we ended our last show, just about the, the tough games they had coming up. And I think you predicted them to go three and two. And I think I had them at yeah. two or three. And right now, <laughs> we're down to the, the last game in that stretch coming up tomorrow in New Orleans, I believe. And they're what, one in, one in three so far? My math correct? Well, since, since our last show, they they're yeah they're one and four since our last show yeah so i keep forgetting about that boston game it's been a while we did it we did a thursday show so they play boston that's a pretty back and forth game it was a lot of fun to watch they drop a you know drop a close one in boston you get that game in toronto you have a lead squander that lead lose that game come home game you cover you're the good luck charm. You you get the the win against the Raptors, the sole win. So it's the bigs. Send Drew to the UC. Um, then you get that close loss against the Pelicans and the game I'm at Sunday against the Nuggets. The doors completely get blown off. It's not even close for most of the game. And yeah, one in four stretch uh, in that five game period. So what what are your overall thoughts just with what you saw during that stretch? I think in the aftermath of the uh, the Denver Nuggets debacle, um, where to still align from Hunger Games, they basically volunteered as tribute. <laughs> um, I, I think in the aftermath of that loss, like I think I reacted kind of emotionally, like very quickly in terms of oh, man, it's time to revisit the starting lineup conversation. And, you know, even though Patrick Williams is playing better as of late, it may be time to inject a different type of energy into that team. But really, the slow starts, um, they kind of gotten a, a better hold of. Before that Denver game, they had gone five games uh, without trailing going into the second quarter. Um and really, they, I believe the starting lineup is 10 and a half points better than opponents per 100 possessions in the first quarter. So, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the, the theme for me of these, of these first 14 games where what you're seeing with your eyes and what the numbers say aren't quite matching up yet. And maybe that's just to be expected because it's a small sample size, but um, – I'm looking forward to kind of getting deeper into the season and seeing which side or which part of the scale um, kind of shows shows up more. Maybe the better way to put it is to see how the scale levels out as we go on. Yeah, I mean, definitely like eye test wise, I mean, I, not knowing the numbers, if I just look at what I've been seeing, I think, okay, well, the, the bench seems to have their shit together <laughs> nine and nine out. At least it feels that way. Maybe it's, Maybe it's just the way that we've seen Goran Dragic play, the way we've seen Alex Caruso play, the way we've seen even Andre Drummond when he's had minutes play, and and of course Javante Green. So like I think maybe that's what's doing it is we're kind of seeing when these guys are in or you know even being staggered in with starters, we kind of see that and think oh, these guys are playing pretty well. But you know I I guess it's it's interesting too. There was a, a good stat. Um, and I brought I brought this up that uh, 
uh, before we we hopped on here, I, I caught a piece from uh, Bleacher Nation Bowls, Elias Schuster, who's who's been on the podcast a few times in the past. Um, he wrote an interesting article kind of comparing what we saw last year versus what we're seeing this year in the first 14 games. And Drew, I have some interesting stats that I want to share with you and the listeners. Um, offensive rating for the Bulls through the first 14 games last year, uh, they had 112.7 offensive rating. That was best for 13th in the league that at that point last year. This year, they're at 109 and a half, good for 22nd in the NBA. Defensive rating. This is where it gets kind of interesting. Through 14 games last year, they were at 113.2. That was best for 23rd in the league. This year, 109.8. That's best for 7th in the NBA. So it's like, I, and that's one thing that I kind of have noticed. Like, there does seem to be some improvement defensively. Like, you can even tell, like, effort-wise, taking the Nuggets game out of it. <laughs> I feel like effort-wise, there, there have been moments where you've seen better play defensively compared to last year but um yeah something just looks odd on offense at times and i shared this with with drew offline that being at the nuggets game at least that night you just saw like the way the ball moved it looked like things were sluggish it looked like i don't know if they just didn't want to be there i I don't know what it was but as a as somebody there that night it kind of ticked me off because this is a team that you want to see start to take that next step. And we've seen them beat some good opponents out of the gate this year, but I feel like they can't afford to throw in a half-ass effort any night. Like they just don't have that ability to do that, you know, here and there. If they want to potentially get into the playoff picture in, in the Eastern conference. Cause right now, I think if we were to look at where they are record wise and against this 14 games, I get it, but they'd be on the outside looking in. They'd be 11th. They wouldn't even be in the play in tournament. So, you know, it's a tight Eastern conference. So all these games count, even if it's not always head to head against Eastern conference opponents, it does matter no matter who you play every night. Yeah. It kind of reminds you of the, the losses to the Spurs and, the Wizards, um, how that kind of comes back to, to bite them in the butt a little bit. Games that, you know, while these teams are are here to play as well, to get paid to perform as well, you know, on paper is, is games that you feel like the Bulls um, should have won. And and to their credit, they they were in both of those games and just weren't able to pull them out. Um, coincidentally, Zach Levine was not available for either one of those games. But it's it's been a it's been a mixed bag through his first 14 games. Going back to that, I want to ask you, going back to that Denver Nuggets game, I know you said it felt like the ball was sticking a lot and wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of ball movement. Being that you were in the, the stadium, did did it feel like they were playing as lifeless in person? Oh, yeah. Person? Yeah. Yeah, I tried through it. It just sucked the energy out of the building. <laughs> it did feel that way a little bit. I, maybe that's a little bit of, of hyperbole on my part, but... No, it did look like it. It looked like they were moving slower than Denver was, you know, and you you kind of see like the way that Denver was moving the ball, especially in the half court, like you just saw it seemed so seamless, right? And you're kind of watching it and and the view I had, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but I, I, I was in a box for that game. You get that view up top. And the one thing that I just kept noticing too was not only for the Bulls was the ball sticking, but one side of the floor kept getting loaded. 
right? You'd have like four guys on one end of the floor and another guy on the other end of the floor in half card offense. And it just wasn't, there wasn't any movement even with it. Like nobody was setting screens. Nobody was getting, trying to get open. So I don't know if something just seemed kind of lifeless, except when Goran Dragic was in the game. Like when Goran Dragic was in the game, facilitating things in the half court, then things were starting to pick up a little bit. But for the most part, yeah, it, it felt like they just didn't come out with a lot of energy. And, you know, again, like, you can't afford it. You, you brought up a good point about those losses earlier this season. That Wizards one definitely sticks with me. Um, and the one against the Spurs, too. It, the way that the Bulls are being framed as sort of this fringe playoff team now, the fact that the East has gotten so much better, like, that that's your lot in life if you're the Bulls. You, you're, you have to make sure that you're playing your best, and especially against lower opponents. Now, Denver different story like Denver's a a big boy opponent and you thought they'd show up just given the track record we've seen this season and you know instead they probably I would say this easily hands down their worst loss of the season you know and and I know the the Cavaliers game was a a tough one too but um, I just feel like the kind of the Nuggets connection with the Bulls this this one kind of stung a little bit to to see that and maybe I'm a little biased because I was there in the building that night yeah it's interesting because you know, the two blowout losses so far have come at home. Um, but with the Cavs game, I felt like, and we'll, we'll probably get into this about Billy Donovan and how a lot of people are, mm. um, really, he's kind of drawn the ire of a lot of people. The game against Cleveland, when he, I think he subbed in a, a all bench unit at one point in that game. And that's when the game, I believe, just kind of broke open in Cleveland's favor. Mm-hmm. That's the one game this season where I felt like Billy needed a bigger piece of the the, the humble pie, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I typically, unless a coach is making like just egregious mistake after mistake after mistake, I, I typically look at the players um, first. So I'm not, I'm not here to bash Billy, but um, in terms of those two blowout losses, that loss just felt like an error in, you know, rotations, we've been oversight and rotations. Um, but the loss, the reason why that loss to the Nuggets, I think for, for a lot of Bulls fans, for you and I, stings a little is because of the effort wasn't there. Like, it's one thing to lose to the Nuggets. The Nuggets are, you know, a championship contender. They've got um, the reigning back-to-back MVP. They, they're finally, for the most part, healthy uh, with MPJ and Jamal Murray there. I know Bones Highland was hurt, but no, there's no shame in losing to them, but the way that they lost, just mm-hmm. just coming out that way after having had what was their longest break to date, that's where the, the issue was. Um, kind of the confusion amongst Bulls Nation, like, man, you guys are supposed to clean some stuff up. What happened? That is a another great point, too, in this whole stretch, too. Like this, you, you almost had, what, like a... a four or five day break to kind of get stuff ready to go and see them come out kind of lackluster. We think the big buzz in Chicago, right. Is, is even though they're losing the bears, right. And how they fix their offense coming out of a mini buy. So mm-hmm. for our listeners in Chicago, this is a big story, but you know, you watched it with the bulls. And I, I think I heard kind of like somebody make a joke on one of the sports radio shows in Chicago about, you know, can the bulls get some stuff going coming out of this mini buy? They just crapped down their leg. I mean, it was complete <laughs> polar opposite. But 
I think it's a little nerve wracking too, because if you look at the schedule ahead too, there's some hefty opponents that are coming up. You know, we got games against the Celtics again, Milwaukee, um, Phoenix, the Warriors. So it, there's going to be some some meaty games on the schedule in the next couple of weeks that you want to see if they can get at least some of their confidence back, some of that mojo, maybe a little bit. Um, but I, I want to ask you this, Drew. Do you think that we, we need to accept the fact here that, and, and honestly, like the way that you and I predicted the season, especially you, I think maybe I'm, I'm kind of leading you to a question that I already know how you're going to answer. And that's, is this team just a 500 or sub 500 team with the way the Eastern conference is and, and just the way that the roster is constructed? I think that's a great question. I think it's just that their margins, man, their margin for, for victory is, is it feels slimmer than a lot of other teams in the Eastern conference. I think we're looking at an above 500 team, but not, much higher than 500 um like 42 and 40 like somebody <laughs> predicted i i, I think that's so. to your own horn there drew <laughs> i think so and i think it just you know I, I i commend billy donovan and the team for trying to tout a more free-flowing offensive game but when Billy Donovan said that during media day or whenever it was when when he kind of preached what they were trying to do differently this year. I was I was kind of a little skeptical just because, you know, if we're talking about in the half court, you have DeMar DeRozan who excels when the ball is in his hand and when it's not in his hand, he's not really much of a threat because he really can't space the floor from from deep and he's not much of a cutter. So unless he's going to be like your your facilitator, which he showed he can do when um, times really call for it, like when the Toronto Raptors were coming after him and doubling him and, and daring anybody not named DeMar DeRozan to beat them, he showed that he can do it. But just in the terms of, you know, a steady half-court offense um, and him kind of facilitating that, I'm not sure – that that's conducive to a free-flowing offense. Hmm. Um, I think the closest thing we've seen to that is pretty much all of the Levine plus reserve bench groups that have been the apple of my eye since since Levine has 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 suited up for the Bulls this this season, man. Um, and I know some of that is because they're not playing against other starters because it's the re- reserve group. Um, you know, they've they come in and, and had to really save the day for this team. But if the bench is constantly having to do that, what's that say about your starters? And then also, what does that say about who may be closing the game and, you know, the way that Billy Donovan has to mix and match players because there's not enough guys on this team who do multiple things in terms of on both sides of the court. So I think he's, he's not in – the most enviable position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at that New Orleans Pelicans game, he got a lot of flack from people who thought that Patrick Williams should have been in the game guarding either Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram. That's great. Okay, you put him in the game, but then there's still one guy that Alex Caruso has to guard, and he's going to be severely undersized in either either one of those matchups. Like, it didn't really 
I get the I get the idea of of you want a six seven, two hundred and twenty pound, twenty one year old in the game, um, using his athleticism and his size against two like sized ish, you know Zion is in a whole nother league, but two like sized ish players. But it's just a a, a roster flaw with this team, um, because even if you decide you want to go DJJ, very athletic, tall, but you know, he's also light in the pants. So, I mean, you know, it, it, I don't I don't envy the position that he's in. And it's it's just tough, man. It's, it's, yeah. it's just really tough. It is. It is tough. And I want to go back to something you said about free-flowing offense. And it, it makes me think, like, how much really do the Bulls miss Lonzo Ball? And I, I know you and I talked about it a lot when, you know, we the news was kind of coming in the offseason that, hey, this – this might be worse than we thought. And, you know, he might be out for an extended period of time, but um, you know, I never looked at, at Lonzo as somebody who was really a, a half court kind of facilitating point guard, but I would think just the wrinkle he adds being off ball in the half court just adds an extra wrinkle that the bulls miss right now. Like, you kind of are starting to realize that he was a tone setter. And, and when we're looking at stack comparisons from last year, like probably one of the key reasons why is because he was like the straw that stirred the drink for the bulls early that season. Like, yeah, DeMar got a lot of the, the pub and, and he earned it. Don't get me wrong. But like, I think that was really your X factor. I'm using all the cliches, by the way, straw that stirs the drink X factor, Um, but he, but you know, he was the maestro. He was, you know, all of it, right? Like you're starting to really see it now. And, I guess that is a little concerning that, you know, this because of the way that this injury has gone down, like that there might have to be, you know, depending on, on what the long-term outlook is, a potential course correction um, until we see him on the floor again. But I think it's, it's evident that wrinkle really, I think could have added even an extra element that you need now and, and could have maybe helped raise all boats just coming out of the gate this year. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, man. I think you see that just in terms of how worse the, the Bulls were predicted to finish because of Lonzo Ball's injury and, and the amount of respect that he has around the league. Um, and also, to your point, what he means for this team. I, I think that they're actually getting out in transition more this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but just also, just from the standpoint of his 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 defense and – being able to contain dribble penetration better than um, almost maybe anybody else on this roster, say for Alex Caruso, no shot at Al Sumo by any means. But um, when we talk about this team's lack of rim protection, we notice it more because the guys on the perimeter aren't keeping their man in front of them, which forces Vooch to step up wherever that may be. It forces the team into rotations, having Alonzo Ball on the floor, is going to theoretically reduce that um, where, you know, Vuce's flaws don't show up uh, quite so prominently, you know. Um, I think maybe more than anything right now, <laughs> which is which is crazy to, to talk about given the shot that their defense took um, in the last 41 games of, of the regular season last year, I think they really miss his three-point shooting. Mm. Another guy that can stretch the floor and lets it go. Like he, there's no, there's no hesitation. That, that's another thing that I noticed 
being at the Nuggets game. You see the difference when you have consistent, confident three-point shooting. Like, that was the one thing that you just kept seeing. Like, didn't matter. It could be like, you know, JoJo McBumface coming off the bench for Denver. Just like, yeah, I'm going to knock down threes. Like, they, they're they're loaded with guys that can do that. And the Bulls just, it seems like it's, it's inconsistent. You know what I mean? Like, I think so far, Goran Dragic looks like really one of the more reliable three-point shooters you have. And we all know even he's kind of streaky. If you look at his career, he's it's usually in waves, right? Like it's in stretches with him, but like really who is that, that lethal knockdown shooter on the bulls, Like, there's nobody that's there consistently for you. And kind of goes into another factor too, that I wanted to bring up with you again, with Zach Levine kind of easing himself back in, I'd say this, if you're not going to play above the rim, you better damn well be <laughs> hitting three pointers consistently and at least getting your shots up consistently mid range. But even there, like it's, it's inconsistent night in and night out. I don't know what I'm going to get from, from Zach from the field unless it's, and it usually comes in bunches when it does happen. That's a good point. I, I don't know how long we can give him a pass, but I think we should for now as he continues yeah. to work himself back and, um, kind of get that left knee getting right again mm-hmm. um, because we, we've seen it. We, we saw him, you know, show that flash of the super efficient um, score shooter that he can be in that the fourth quarter of that Brooklyn game. Um, and also in the second game of that back-to-back against the Raptors where he, he dropped the season out 30 points. Like it's there. It, it just, looks like it's going to take a little more time to be there more consistently on a level that we've come to know Zach Levine in terms of the efficiency that he plays with. But um, I don't know, man, this, this, this team is interesting because you got Vucevic who by all accounts is playing better than he did last season. Um, You know, shooting the three ball. I still don't know if they're going to him in a post enough. Mm -hmm. I I kind of wish they still would, kind of uh, play through him, especially yeah. earlier games, but just because we, we see it. Teams double him more often than not, it seems, like when he catches the ball in the post, and he can either, you know, kick to whoever's open or if they're going to single cover him, try to go to work in that in, in, in that regard, even though yeah. I know the rebuttal to that from some people would be that he's got he's to gotta take more – ownership of calling for the ball and, and doing more, more with it when he has it in the post, but it's a weapon there and not necessarily a, a weapon in terms of him scoring the ball, but more so just how it can help the team get easier baskets and put other teams in rotations. Yeah. And I'm going to sound like a meathead when I say this, because I think I've brought this up back in the early days of the podcast, Drew. I think I brought this up with Wendell Carter. But I used to say, like, you know, do do the Bill Cartwright method. If you remember the old days with in the first three Pete, they would dump the ball down to Bill Cartwright to get things flowing, to get him shots early. And then they did that with Luke Longley also. Now, Luch is much more talented than those guys were. But <laughs> point is, it kind of like it creates sort of this rhythm. And, and I think the what the bulls were doing back then was kind of creating a flow of, okay, well it at least creates a serious threat, right? If they're, 
kind of getting going and, and the defense starts thinking, okay, well now this is a wrinkle to add into the game. Now we got to have to switch up our looks a little bit defensively, but you know, in this case, I think like, you know, in basketball, you see, you see go into the hoop once and early you get it going. You start feeling it a little bit. And I, I do wish they kind of did that. Um, They did it. It was interesting against Denver in the first quarter. They did try to get it to Vooch down low early, but then they kind of abandoned it pretty quickly. Like once Denver got on a run, then it was like it went to hero ball mode. Like that's another thing too. That's something that's been scaring me. I think even dating back to when the Bulls got DeMar and Look, I, I want to just preface this. Like, DeMar's actually a really good facilitator. So I'm not saying that he's somebody that's that's overly selfish or anything. But there are moments where the ball can stick with him a little bit. And I feel like the same thing kind of happens with Zach a little bit. And I don't think it's it's always intentional. But I think sometimes it can kind of suck the life out of an offense when, when that's happening in different stretches. You know, so... I, something that I don't know how they're going to fix it. I think that's the thing that's frustrating me too. I don't know what the fix is, you know, to make some of these things better to kind of flip the script a little bit, right? Like it's, it's hard to predict. Yeah. I mean, and to your point about the ball sticking sometimes and then Zach and, and DeMar kind of playing or feeding into that hero ball. I think some of that is just par for the course because they are yeah. two of the isolation players in the league. And, and it's not a bad thing to mm-hmm. kind of have in your back pocket um, when you need a bucket. But um, yeah, I don't, the, the fix may, it may just be something as quote unquote easy as them just learning to trust yeah. this new style of play and, and not revert back to old habits um, when the going gets tough. Like you said, against Denver, once Denver got rolling, you know, it was okay. I got to, I got to fix this by myself now and, and, yeah, and stay away from that. And I want to make this clear. Like I, I love when, you know, DeMar isolates or Zach isolates when it, it is those tighter games, right? Like when you get into a moment where you need that bucket, like I'm okay with that from time to time. Like that, that happens in the NBA. Like your stars have to take over in those circumstances it's like when it happens in the first and second quarter of a game, when the other team is starting to make a run and your response is to go ISO, that's where it's a little concerning, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, how much of that do you think falls on Billy Donovan? Like, I know he's a player's coach. Yeah. Uh, from all accounts, always has been, always will be. How much ownership do you? think he should take in terms of kind of reeling them in when when things like that start to happen i think he does have to take a little bit of it and i'm going to reference something that actually uh rob schaefer from nbc sports chicago had said um and this was on i I remember which podcast he was on he appeared it might have been on bulls gold i i don't want to misquote it this was a while back um I think right when the season was wrapping up last year and he mentioned that, you know, Billy Donovan did a really good job as a coach this year with a, with an upgraded roster, but that sometimes when Billy Donovan says like, yeah, we really need to fix this. We really need to correct that. It's like, okay, well, how, like, tell us how, or how you're going to do it or give us a, a, a solution. 
because like the example I think that Rob was bringing up was like as the season was winding down and the Bulls were falling in the standings, Billy was saying the same things in press conferences almost every week, but there wasn't really a resolution. And that's one thing that I would question about Billy Donovan. I absolutely love the hire. I think he's done a fantastic job with the Bulls. All right. And I, I do think you do have to give him credit for, you know, the quick turnaround and I think even kind of elevating Zach Levine's game. But there are times where you're like, okay, what's the solution? Like you've, you've definitely identified the problem, but what's the solution? And he called them out after that loss against Denver. But that's one thing I definitely want to see. Like, what are some of these solutions? And, you know, is the solution juggling the way that these lineups are? I don't know. It's hard. That's what they pay Billy Donovan a lot of money to do every year. Like, <laughs> figure it out, Billy. I I just want to see something that kind of gets gets their mojo back, or at least maybe just shake something up. You never know. Like, is it something with the rotations? Is it? I don't know. It's hard to pinpoint. I think you do have to hold them somewhat accountable for for some of those things. Yeah, and I think that's what you know. Coming off that twenty three point loss to to Denver, that's what makes this game Wednesday in New Orleans so much more heavier than just a regular 15th game of the season. Like it's not so much that they have to win, but if that effort isn't there after Billy Donovan said what he said after the the Nuggets game, after Zach Levine said mm-hmm. what he said after the Nuggets game, if the effort is not there, then I think it's like, okay, is is our 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 things starting to fall on deaf ears? Like what's, yeah. what's going on here? Because you know, if we take a step back and, and look at these first 14 games, we talked about how how difficult of a of a of an opening stretch they had to the season. Um, four back to backs, Zach Levine um, being in and in and out of the lineup, Drummond, Kobe White, um, and they're here at six and eight. They're here at six and eight. They got were able to get six wins out of that. Of course, like we talked about, um, it would have been nice if they were able to to nab wins in Washington and um, in San Antonio, but and it's, and I don't I don't want to feel like I'm trying to give them a pass because it's not that it's it's just and I'm kind of talking to myself here. <laughs> the the loss against Denver, I think, made everything prior to that feel worse than what it actually was. Yeah. And by the way, Drew, you're going to learn this as you get more acclimated. Podcast is a form of group therapy, man. It's like that's <laughs> that's half of it. You end up kind of talking yourself through through some of these things. So you're, you're saying this is a safe, safe space. Yeah, safe space. Total safe space. Among Just, friends. Yeah, among among <laughs> all your friends within Bulls Nation. And, okay. Okay. you know, like, but you're you're I think you're what you're trying to talk through, too. It's like it's the tough thing with with small sample sizes too. Like we're, it's very easy for us to kind of fall victim to this, but like, that's why we're called fans, right? Fans short for fanatic. We're going to be irrational. We're going to have moments where we where I think kind of clouded by certain things. And I mean, you know, me, I've been red asked about <laughs> ever since the off season, there's things I wanted done to this roster. And now I get that feeling like, well, you know, you reap what you sow. You didn't want to make moves to take the next step and you you want to cheat your way from point B to C. But, you know, you're kind of still stuck at that level between A and B, right? Like you're still 
you're not quite there. You're not title contenders. You're playoff contenders. If you're going to stay in a playoff contending mode, this is what you're going to see. It, this is the product. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting. You were saying about like coming out of the gate or coming out of this this loss to Denver, trying to see like what that effort level is going to be against the Pelicans. That's one thing that I'll be interested to see too, like in these next, you know, few weeks here, the next couple of weeks, if effort level is starting to become an issue, um, you know, against some of the lower opponents, the one thing about the NBA, if the players start to come out flat, it seems like they're tuning out Billy Donovan. Then we're going to have a much different conversation come new year's. Absolutely. And let me tell you in the NBA, especially when your coach is on a five-year contract and in year three of it, the rumblings can start. And I, I don't want to get on that whole thing with, I'm not trying to say like fire Billy Donovan. I, I I'm not going to go down that path yet. Okay. Like I don't think we're quite there, but look, if, if the effort levels continue to be bad and, and they're hovering around that 500 mark, few games below 500 i wouldn't be surprised like there have been coaches who have gotten the slip when things like that happen and now i do think there could be some get right games kind of sprinkled in here i think i could see the the effort improve against new orleans the magic i know tend to be a thorn in the bull sides it seems like but i think there's an opportunity there i think there's an opportunity against the thunder I know everybody loves the fight in Laurie's in Utah, but I think there's an opportunity against the Jazz. I love you it. Know, <laughs> the fight in Laurie's, you know, February's every every month. <laughs> like, I, I do think there's opportunities to get right and kind of fatten your record a little bit, maybe get some confidence back up. But because uh, it's 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 going to be a, a tricky stretch here, like we were saying. There's some good opponents sprinkled in here with Boston, Milwaukee, Phoenix, and Golden State. Honestly, <laughs> the Bulls can't afford to take anybody for granted. I, no. I think Paulo Bancaro is – I think he's day-to-day right now with an ankle injury. Mm-hmm. But that, that Orlando team is is better than that 4-10 record. They've been in a lot of games. I think Draymond Green recently said that this iteration of the Magic is the most competitive that he's faced since he's been in the league. Yeah. Um, even even OKC, they have a, a zero-point differential. So, I mean, these, these teams yeah. in games – that and that's the thing you're 100% right like you you go and look at one of the things i love to do i i have usually like during games i'll have twitter open and then i'll kind of have another screen open with some other scores going around the league as one thing i noticed with magic games like they're always freaking tight every night and the same with with the thunder the thunder had some interesting wins this year too so like Yes, you're 100% right. You cannot take anything for granted if you're the Bulls, especially the way you've come out of the gate. Like, you do have to take these opponents seriously. And I think that will tell you a lot about coaching, too, because if those players are just kind of coming into these games saying, ah, who cares? You know what? We we got it. We're fine. We can kind of show up at half speed, beat a team like the Magic. Well, then you look at the scoreboard and you're down 10 points with five to go. And it's like, oh, crap. No, we can't afford this. So, yeah, it, it will be interesting. I think what you're saying is right. How they come out on Wednesday will, will tell us a lot. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, this last week or so, right, it's been a long layoff between games, right? Like that layoff from that 
Pelicans game at home to the Nuggets game and you get that crap fest. Now flip it around. Sorry. I'm just, I'm really pissed. That's the game I go to. I, <laughs> I do want to tell some, some focus. I have not been to a bulls game. I was kind of protesting during the end of the Garpax era. So I have not been to the UC in a few years for a game. So this is my first time out there. What was it since 2018? Like, okay. Yeah. So like, I did not want to give my money to the product. If they were going to continue to give Garpax this chance and take all these swings and consistently fuck up. So (laughs) I stopped going to games, still watched it, you know? So I still gave the Reinsdorf some of my money, but not, not a premium. So to go to a game like that, I think that's why I'm kind of jilted. I think because I finally decided I'm going to the UC. I like the, you know, I like the fact that this management at least seems good, although we can kind of cross that bridge in a little bit. But um, yeah, I I think that's why I'm a little ticked when I keep referencing this Nuggets game. But you always fall back, fall back on the fact that you, you know, you can tell your kids that you saw uh, Nikola Jokic play in person. I mean, that- I, I, <laughs> yes, I got that going for me. I got to see, you know, a reigning MVP play and I got to watch the guy I wanted the Bulls to take, even though he had a wonky back and Michael Porter Jr. light <laughs> up the Bulls. I got to see that too. Um, but anyway, like that that stretch though, right? Now can they take advantage of this grace period that they've been given to Wednesday? So Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um now we talked about this a little bit off camera beforehand about the starting lineup and, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of rumblings of, of maybe there needing to be a, a change somewhere in that, in that starting group. If there was a change to be, first of all, let me ask you this. Do you think there should be a change made to the starters? I'm inclined to say yes. I do think a little bit of a shakeup would help. And I think the fact that we've kind of seen Sometimes the starters play well with some of the guys off the bench, right? Like in these staggered situations, maybe it might be the, the just a little spark that's needed. You know, I, I do think like it's interesting in a vacuum. I think the starting lineup's okay. And I think in a vacuum, the bench has been really good, but I think we've actually seen moments this year. It's kind of like when the pieces get mixed a little bit, we've kind of seen improvement or you know them go on runs so i'd be willing to do it just to kind of shake things up and see like could that untap something that you know might get this team going a little bit so So now you know my follow-up is going to be what what change do you make what change do i make well you know there's part of me that's like do you um do you insert goran dragic into the starting lineup uh in favor of iodesumu but I think the issue I have there is, well, two, two issues. One, Goran Dragic tends to just be very streaky, right? So we're, we're seeing him now on a, on a really good stretch and he's doing it with more reduced minutes than a starter would have. So I, I don't think that's the move to make. I still think the move to make is, is that power forward? And it's nothing against Patrick Williams, actually. Like, I actually think Patrick Williams, since we last spoke, last time we had Laro on um, from Swish Theory, I think he's done very well. 
I think he you've seen the effort there. You've seen him play well on the defensive on the floor. You've seen him more engaged offensively and more aggressive. So like it's not a punishment. <laughs> I think though, just inserting Javante Green, seeing how he's done with the starters, and the fact that if you maybe add Patrick Williams in with that bench unit, maybe it it just kind of balances things out a little more. Like I I would at least try it. Maybe just for you know, a little stretch. You can always go back to it. Like, what, what, what do you have to lose at this point? Especially with the way that Billy staggers lineups. Like, what does it matter at this point? And then maybe you know you find something consistent, or you continue continue to stagger the way you are with lineups. Yeah, my my only and and I was I was with you. Like that. That's how I felt coming off of that that Denver game. Like, even though the the starters have been getting off to better starts lately, and and Patrick Williams has been playing better just what could a, a more energetic um, kind of lightning bolt of a player, what could that guy in Javante Green, or even maybe DJJ perhaps, what could that guy do for the starters who, you know, are kind of more, not flatline, that's not the word I'm looking for, but just kind of more just an even keel, just, um, you know, they know, their, they know their spots and know what they're good at in, in the big three of uh, – Mm-hmm. The Rose and the Vucevic. What what could a energizer bunny type do to that group in terms of kind of galvanizing them on a defensive end of the floor? But they've they've you know as the numbers continue to tell us <laughs> through fourteen games, um, that hasn't really been a, a grave issue um, lately. You know before that Denver game, um, but my pushback now is now that or my concern rather, now that Patrick Williams is kind of getting in the groove of, of playing with those, those starters and that big three, it's like, man, now do you want to get used to a different role? Even though I still, I still think that Dragic can, can some, some on-ball reps and some, some actions with Dragic can kind of unlock him in ways that maybe he can't be when he's with that starting group, but it's just kind of that, that, you know, that give and take of, man, he's just now kind of catching the groove. He really want to try to get him acclimated into a different, different role. Yeah. It's man, it's tricky. It really is. You know, I, I know there's a certain bulls podcaster and it rhymes with, uh, you know, be red Jed, um, or be led Jed. I don't know. I'm not great at rhymes. Um, <laughs> He he's throwing out the name. I know Jay Crowder a lot of like, do you try to make that that kind of a move? And again, preface like making trades this early in the NBA season is kind of doesn't usually happen a lot. It usually happens once we get after the, the new year. I was thinking about that. I'm like, well, OK, if you added him as your starting power forward, do things really get that much better? Like, and I, I thought about it. Like, I, I do think there's a wrinkle he brings, right? He can kind of stretch the floor a little bit. He gives you a lot of effort defensively. I don't know. Are you really getting that much better, though? Like, and and what are you giving up to get somebody like that? Yeah, that's, that's where I am with that right now is that sounds great, but what, what, packages are, what package is the Suns? What are they looking for? And, and why, right. why would they look to the bulls to get it. Um, Kobe white's value through really not, a, not all 
of his fault because he's dealing with, um, you know, a, a leg injury. This guy has some of the worst luck, man. <laughs> the yeah. last couple, last couple starts to his season, but um, his trade value isn't great, and I'm not sure he's a he's the guy that the Suns would want to really bring into the rotation for any meaningful minutes. Um, so I don't know, man. And then I'm not really even sure what Crowder's uh, contract situation is. Um, you know, he brings toughness and experience. Uh, and he's a, he's a decent three-point shooter in theory, but I mean, I'm not sure the bar, definitely the, the um, looking into the future is not raising that bar. If, if you're, you're talking about kind of giving him a, a bigger chunk of Patrick Williams' minutes. Um, but even in the here and now, I'm not really sure he he makes you a spot or two better in terms of the Eastern Conference standings. Yeah, that like that's my issue too is, okay, you're going to end up taking away minutes then from Patrick Williams, and then you're also taking minutes away from Javante Green, from, you know, DJJ, who I think I'd rather have – I'd rather roll the dice with them at that spot like look if i'm just this is again spitballing and i'm again not saying this is going to happen if for some reason you know the lakers came calling and said you want anthony davis okay maybe then i'm like screw whoever's minutes those are um and i'm sure there's some bulls fans out there going like really you do that i again though like I, i i don't know if i pass up on on a player like that, even though he gets hurt that much, but I mean, come on, like Jay Crowder, great role player. I'd sign him maybe in free agency on a mid-level exception or something, but I wouldn't, you know, try to trade away somebody and, and have him right now take away minutes from, from somebody. But I thought I, I kind of throw that out there. Like, does it really make your, your team better at the, and add an extra wrinkle to a starting lineup? I don't know if it does. One thing that I also wanted to kind of throw your way, if there's one thing that you, if you were in Billy Donovan's shoes, what would be something that you would do to kind of change the flow of things, whether it's in the starting lineup or just with staggering lineups? Is there something that you want to see more of or tweak that could make the Bulls possibly hit their stride a little bit more this season? Man, that's a great question. Um, wow, I, I think I'm, I'm when when you ask me that question, I start thinking about closing lineups and mm. who should be playing with who, and, and how Dragic might fit it, fit into that being a, a playmaker slash floor spacer that he's he's shown himself to be so far this season. But I don't know specifically how he should be integrated into that closing lineup. I think um, until, I think it was maybe a couple games ago, maybe the Pelicans game, I don't think he'd been in in um, closing lineups before that point. Hmm. Uh, it was nice to see him in the mix in, in that regard. Um, but off the top of my head right now, not not really. I think it's more so just the players. And, and as we talked about earlier, just trusting the new way they have said they want to play and, and not abandoning that so so quickly when 
times get tough, you know, still continuing to move, still continuing to cut um, to try to get stops. I know uh, earlier in the season against the Pacers, after the Pacers game, you know, I, I asked Billy Donovan about um, that second group and just the identity that they seem to have. And he, and he was telling us that a lot of that stems from their ability to keep the ball out of the basket so that they're not having to run offense against set, set defenses. Um, and I think, you know, if the starters can continue to kind of adopt that and, and get stops and kind of widen that margin of error that they have by getting out in transition, getting easy baskets, um, playing through Vucevic so that it opens up the floor a little bit more and you have the ability to force other teams into rotation in the same way that they seemingly constantly force you into rotation and, and wind up with um, a bunch of target practice threes. I think that's that's kind of where my, my mind goes when you ask me that question. Is that something that you have specifically queued up in your brain? <laughs> no, I, 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 don't, I never, I never try to lead too much with questions, but no, I, I think it's, it, that's the thing. Like I, I struggle to kind of find like, what is the sweet spot? And I feel like maybe that's what's going on right now a little bit with Billy Donovan too, is just trying to figure this all out on the fly a little bit. You know, like trying to, especially when when Zach is not in the equation consistently. I think that also adds a, another wrinkle to kind of like this decision making of, of what are my my bread and butter lineups to close out games. You know, I, I think that's an interesting one to me too. Is like, are you kind of looking at somebody like a like Goran Dragic to close these games out? Um, because like again, we were talking about being able to stretch the floor even too if you need key three. Um, I feel like that's somebody at least so far that's demonstrating the ability to knock them down with, you know, at a consistent clip. So like even having that wrinkle at a, at the end of a game, I think is important. So um, yeah, like I'm, I'm also like, I'm a big proponent too of finding the lineup that you can end a game with. And a lot of people get caught up in starters minutes and being a starter, but really in the NBA, it's about who finishes games. You know, like if you have a sixth man, that you really gives you a lot of production. He's going to close the game. Like Lou Williams used to close games a lot, right? Mm-hmm. As, as a, you know, a key spark on offense. So, you know, I think that's, that's the thing I, I kind of want to see too, a little bit is like, what is, what is some of the, the actual consistency to the lineups? Like kind of going back to last year, it, it did feel like there were portions, especially as we got into the new year, um, where we didn't really see those like consistent lineups that we were seeing. And part of it was because of injuries and, and all those kind of things going on. And I guess maybe that's kind of set the tone even heading into this season. I think it all goes back, all goes back to the X factor. It all goes back to Lonzo Ball in a way, right? Like I think there is a system in their mind or there is a, a formula or set lineups in their mind. But without that piece and without Zach consistently, maybe that's what could be kind of throwing this off again. I'm that's just speculation, but I think it kind of does go back to that a little bit. No, I think it's, I think it's, it's, um, you know, well thought of where, where your, where your head is right now in terms of, you know, that 
the elephant in the room about who's who's missing from a lot of these lineups, whether it be mm-hmm. you know the starting group or the closing one. Um, Lonzo Ball's importance to this team has been, you know, it cannot be overstated. You know, it is what yeah. it is, uh, just because of what he brings on both sides of the ball, um, and whether or not they get him back, they have to, they have to find a way to widen those margins for error that exist for them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and control the controllables, which is the effort. If the effort's yeah. not there, what are you what are you doing at that point? Then yeah, yeah. I want to I want to wrap up on on this topic, and it's one that I kind of hinted to earlier, and it has to do with when I say management, I'm really looking at like Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley, and not ownership. And it kind of goes back to the off season. We talked a little bit about it offline. And I wanted to to bring it to the listeners. Is Given where things were at the end of last season, you know, we had this conversation so much in, in the off season with free agency. And, you know, I, I know I pounded the drum consistently that like you're at a point right now where you made massive improvements from 2021 to 2022, right? Six seed got into the playoffs. And now the next step is, how do you get to title contention? And it did feel like this was a status quo off season because they wanted to see everybody healthy. Right. And they wanted to see where this roster could get them. And, and I think my point, and I think you even made this point too, a little bit true is like, that's great. But like, can you also find ways to even make incremental improvement? Even if you're not going to be a title contender, make incremental improvement to see you know, how you can get the most out of your roster. So that way you continue to stay attractive. You continue to keep building to that ultimate goal. Um, And I feel like at least through 14 games, I'm kind of questioning what the overall plan is. And I, you know, I guess, I guess the honeymoon period's over a little bit with them. I mean, they, this is the third season. They definitely accelerated it. And now here we are with a team that again is kind of trying to stay alive to be in the playoff picture and the play-in part of the Eastern Conference. Are you are you a little concerned like I am? Or are you still kind of holding out a little hope? I'm curious what you think, because I know I'm starting to kind of I guess have a little level of doubt. So, so, okay, so let me answer your question with a question a little bit here. Okay. When you, when you say you're starting to have a little bit of doubt in terms of... What the plan is. Like, I, I really thought last... Uh, well, the 2021 offseason leading into the 2022 season, right? When they got Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan. I thought that was their sign that we are going to start building up a title contender. And I think, like... After last season, we saw, okay, it's not quite enough. So what's next? And I guess, you know, I was kind of okay. I was a little bummed that they didn't do enough. And so I think now in my mind, the doubt's creeping in. Like, is this actually building up towards title contention? And I have other thoughts on this, but I I just want to get your initial thoughts. Where I mean, where do you feel now with my extra context kind of given there? 
see, it's kind of, I know you, you let off by saying kind of excluding ownership, but it's kind of hard to answer that question without including them <laughs> um, in this, in this scenario, because by all accounts, it seems as if they've, they've given the referendum that, Hey, we just, we want you guys to get to a certain point. We're not going to spin past a certain point. Um, we just want to be back to respectability. And if, if that was the mandate, then, you know, to this point, they've met it, but I, I guess I'm still holding out hope though. Um, yeah. Because it feels like in the NBA, especially nowadays, uh, organizations maybe aren't as locked into past decisions as they, they may have been in the past. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what direction they go with, with Vucevic, if they try to bring him back or not, what happens with DeMar DeRozan in the offseason. If, if I'm them and I'm looking at this team who started the season just on a bender uh, last year, I don't necessarily fault them for staying the course with the main ingredients because it did look really good um, for the better part of last season. Mm-hmm. But if their hands were tied behind their backs in terms of what kind of marginal additions they could make to the team – and they went out and got what appears to be right now two of the better free agents of the summer, two guys that have elevated the bench to one of the best in the NBA, um, one that Zach Levine recently said saves the starters' ass on a consistent basis. I can't, I can't fault the front office in terms of Mark Eversley and um, Connor Sovis. And it still kind of gives me a little bit of hope because I think they still have a they still have a vision of what they want this team to be. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, injuries to Zach Levine, who they fall intents and purposes, still had to pay um, just because of the direction they're trying to go and what he showed them to that point to this point. Yeah. Injuries to him and also to Lonzo Ball have just kind of really wrecked things to this point. Yeah, and I guess I think then we're pretty aligned because, like, what I where I was going with this is I I do feel like I guess it's the confidence or the doubt that I have doesn't necessarily fall with Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley. It does fall with I guess the full organization. You know, like I do think it's. I think the Reinsdorfs do play a, a key role in this because are they the ones actually tying their hands, tying Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas' hands behind their backs and saying, hey, look, you have to stay within this financial structure to make this work. And what will be interesting is we, we've seen them be aggressive really since the moment they walked in, right? Like the, there was the Garrett temple quiet off season, you know, in a pandemic shortened year. And we talked about in the last episode, the year of evaluation. And then all of a sudden, right at the trade deadline, it was like the floodgates opened, right? You, you get Vucevic, you trade off pieces, right? You, you're getting Daniel Tice, right? They were trying to make at least a run at the play. And it seemed like, you know, and then you had, um, you know, the, I think uh, Zach had the, um, COVID bout, and that kind of derailed that that opportunity. But 
there was, I think from that moment, you saw the floodgates open. And what I'll be interested in seeing is if what we're seeing now is sort of that uneven play, are they willing to say, all right, we've seen enough. We went status quo. Now we can maybe make some tweaks to the roster. Like does to use an example, if, you know, if there's a chance to upgrade, do you look at somebody like a Nikola Vucevic and say, you know what? Maybe we're going to take this roster in a different direction and let's try to move you out now. You know, um, do they try doing something like that? Do they get bold like they we saw them get, you know, an, a year ago and, you know, back at the trade deadline in 2021? I think that'll tell you a lot. Um, I think it would also tell you that maybe if that's the case, maybe the Reinsdorfs didn't necessarily have a too heavy of a hand in it because then maybe they're, maybe they really did want to evaluate Arturis Garnashovas and Mark Eversley. Maybe they actually did want to see what could this roster do at full strength with a healthy Patrick Williams needing another year and more playing time to develop. What could it do with, you know, Zach in the lineup consistently with these other pieces, right? And and maybe that that was the the truth all along. But um, I guess we're, we're what I mean by my doubt creeping in. It's like, okay, are are we really building a title contender here? Um, and I think we'll we'll have to see. Like their their actions will show us as the season goes on. If they stay status quo no matter what at the deadline, um, you know, unless they go on some type of like torrid run here and you know they're ten games above five hundred at the trade deadline, different story. But, you know, if they're below 500 middling at the trade deadline and don't make any moves one way or another, like, I think that might tell me all I need to know. It's going to be interesting because you have to kind of weigh that against where Alonzo Ball's recovery is. And good point. Whenever he's projected to come back, because if they're if they're, if they're able to trade water. Without having to trade a major piece then maybe I can understand them standing pat because it would align with everything they talked about in the offseason about continuity. Like, why wouldn't you, if, if you were able to, if you were willing to suffer through the first part of the season um, when you weren't going to have your starting point guard and then you knew you were going to get him back, knock on wood at a certain point in time after the new year, you know, why would you sell off uh, potentially one of those major pieces? So I'm, I'm with you there to a point. It just yeah. on what we what we continue to hear about his rehab. Yeah, and let me let me make a point here because like I know sometimes I tend to like throw players out in in trade scenarios. I'm not saying like they're actively <laughs> shopping Vooch. What I'm saying there is like if you're at a point where like you're kind of treading water and you need to make a decision on the future, and you might say, you know, I want to upgrade my roster. There's this younger piece available, and I might just move Vooch to kind of clear some salary to make it work or, or use him as a piece in the trade. Cause I, I do think Vooch is attractive. I think some people downgrade Vooch's value. The fact that he's $20 million as a big man on an expiring deal. I do think somebody would be kind of apt to take him on, especially a team that might be in contention a little bit and you might be able to get something even of, of nice value back, especially when you're, your draft capital is kind of bare too. Like 
it would make sense if you're kind of, you know, again, maybe, maybe treading water is a bad example. Maybe in that case, it's more like the, you're five or eight games under 500 and things have just completely fallen apart. Like I, I do think there's, you know, it, it, and also the story is going to have to be told probably in the off season with, with AK and Eversley, because if they do this year of evaluation too, and they're like, all right, look, it didn't go well. We, we only won 42 games like Drew predicted. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, Hey, like then, then you have to start really looking at, okay, well, how do you take the next step to getting to 50 wins? Like what, what is that going to take? And it's going to have to take, you know, for all parties involved, I think I think AK and Eversley have shown that they have a pair. Now it's time for for Michael Reinsdorf and Jerry to, you know, turn those raisinets into big old bowling balls. <laughs> Just take, you know, stop being afraid of your own shadow. You guys are making hand over fist with the amount of money that comes in the UC. Okay. And I, I saw they got a fucking Lexus parking lot. Up there, okay? <laughs> There's literally a whole section from Lexus because they're one of the biggest sponsors at the UC. There's money being made. Okay. So, you know, try to play with the big boys finally and get to that step where you can improve the roster and let your, you know, let, let these guys cook. I mean, you saw what they did. They handled things. I think masterfully operating over the cap in the 2021 off season, right? Like you saw what they could do. Let them go. Let them go. If they're holding, if they're truly holding them back, let them, let them actually do what they're capable of to kind of keep building this roster. Yeah. And I, I, this is the, I think the, the hardest jump to make right from respectability, you know, first round playoff exit to title contender. I, I liken it to, the jump many Bulls fans, most Bulls fans, all Bulls fans would like to see Zach Levine make from all-star to all-NBA, whether or not that happens or not. I, I, I liken that kind of next step up from where the Bulls are now to where they are seemingly trying to go to Zach Levine and, and his own, you know, maybe individual journey that he's on in terms of his status in the league and having been a two-time all-star, but it, it remains to be seen. Just, it, it sucks, man. Injuries suck and they derail plans and, you know, they cause organizations to have to, like you said earlier, have to have to course correct and kind of adjust on the fly, but that's, that's why they get paid the big bucks and um, we'll see what happens moving forward. Um. As we wrap up here, I do want to throw this out as a, as a tool. Now, our, our predictions have not been great. I mean, last week, it was a bit of a, since our last episode, it's been a bit, it was dicey. So let's go through the end of Thanksgiving week, even though we, we'll probably have an episode, you know, that week, we can kind of take, take it through, through these next five. Um, so on the docket, as, as we've talked about, Bulls are in New Orleans Wednesday night. They face the Magic on Friday. Then Monday of Thanksgiving week. I can't believe I'm saying that. Like the fact that we're already getting to Thanksgiving week. This is time's <laughs> flying. Um, 
Celtics at home that Monday, day before Thanksgiving, they'll be in Milwaukee against the Bucks, and then they'll wrap up Friday on the road against the Thunder. That's Friday, November 25th against the Thunder. So that stretch, again, we were saying, hey, there's a couple winnable games in there, but the Magic and Thunder are competitive. Um, so what do you see out of this this stretch with, uh, you know, three three road games and two home games? Oh, man. Um, I think I'm... I'm gonna go three and two, man. Three and two. I'm gonna flip. Um, I'm actually gonna match you on this and go three and two as well. Okay. I I do think this reaction to the Nuggets game. I I think maybe they needed that slight kick in the ass. And if we go back, you know, remember they got that little kick in the ass against the Cavaliers and came out. Now it was interesting. They came out sluggish against the Celtics and then flipped a switch in that game and ended up winning by almost 20 points. I think this could maybe be a, a slight wake up call maybe to them that they have to get their act together, or at least play with consistency. Um, so I don't, where do you, I'm not going to make you like put wins to each game, but is there one in this stretch that you feel confident about? I know we said like, can't get cocky, but is there anything, any one of these where you feel confident? Not even a win, but even give like a really great effort. Let me tweak it to that. Tomorrow, Wednesday. Wednesday? I mean, if they don't give a great effort coming off of Sunday and the comments that we've heard in the aftermath of that game, that, like we talked about, that would be a really bad look. Mm. If if we don't see a great effort tomorrow. I'm definitely with you on that one. I think... The Pelicans game to I think there's also a, a bad taste in their mouth with how they lost against the Pelicans at home. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that that's a game primed for them to really come out of the gate. Well, I also think that game in Milwaukee, um, Milwaukee's playing lights out, but I think the Bulls are showing they like they're getting up for some of these big opponents. So again, I don't I don't think it's a win necessarily, but I think that they're gonna come out strong in that game and really put together max effort if they don't i'll be very upset and very disappointed but you, you know given how <laughs> yeah well given how everything ended last year you know against milwaukee and um you know the the way that they've played against some of these like ace you know level competition i think that's a game where i can definitely see them coming out of the gate playing really well yeah, I'm really interested in this Boston matchup, too. The third time they're going to be seeing the Celtics this season already. Yeah. Um, and they make it a third straight competitive down to the – well, the first game wasn't down to the wire because they blew that thing open after they were getting the the doors blown off of them in that first quarter. But um, can they come out and have a, a good showing? We talked about it earlier. They've only had uh, two blowout losses um, – this season, but other than that, they've been very competitive. They've been down to the wire. Um, can they continue that trend, especially, like I said, against a Boston team who, as of uh, Tuesday, as we're recording this, has won seven straight games. So mm-hmm. um, interested to see how that goes back at home at the United Center. Oh, yeah, definitely will be interesting to watch. And, and hopefully, hopefully things do turn around a little bit for the Bulls because, like, hey, we, we want to see some – at least competitive basketball and see them get back on track. Cause 
you know, there's pieces on this team that are are always intriguing to watch. And, um, you know, we don't want to get into a scenario that we were talking about earlier. If if things start to go south and we start talking about Billy Donovan watch, that's no fun. Um, well, again, you can first off, thank you, Bulls Nation, for listening to this this therapy session. We hope that it helped you as much as it helped Drew and I. <laughs> thank you. Um, remember you can follow us on Twitter if you're still there. Um at mgenteel88 is my handle. Drew's is at look what Drew did. And then of course rebuildable is at rebuild underscore a underscore bull. We are also now on TikTok. We'll be dropping some previews on TikTok. Um, if you're on TikTok, at rebuildable pod is where you can find us. Um and I'll probably have some some video up from from this already. We actually posted two. Didn't do too bad. And hopefully we can grow the number of followers there, Drew, because, uh, you know, in order to get a link, you have to have a thousand followers. So might have to put in some work to to get that going. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. And we'll probably won't do like any goofy dances or shit like that. It'll probably just be podcast clips unless you want to do it, Drew. That's it's all on you. I mean, I'm 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 not the best dance in the world, but you know, I can get goofy a time or two with the right uh right ingredients, right kind of liquid courage. Oh wait, before we leave, what's your liquid courage of of choice? Nowadays, in my ripe old age of thirty nine, soon to be forty, is red wine. Red wine, very yeah. nice, very <laughs> nice. I I kind of remember us talking offline about that. I think at one point. Yeah, I think yeah. It's yeah, I'm. If I'm dipping into red wine, it's Cab Sauv. But but lately, I've been uh, been kicking back on a lot of bourbon. So, <laughs> you know, hey, maybe, maybe, hey, if we get to this point, we can live stream an episode where we're both heavily inebriated. So <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that. <laughs> alongside alongside Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. We're both sober. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>